0: How are y'all today? Am I on mic? Did I turn it on right? Okay, you can hear, well, you can hear me without it, but still, for the recording purposes. Um, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teacher here in the garden. And before we get started on the message, I want to give you guys a special announcement. Um, on Wednesday at 6.15 at the Nightlife Center, uh, Marshall Fouts is one of our young people who's been with us uh, for years uh, we recently hired him to kind of mentor him to maybe take over my spot when I can't walk anymore, which could be quite soon. Um, we're baptizing him on Wednesday at 6.15 at the Nightlife Center out back behind our building. We're renting a dunking booth, which will be used extensively afterwards, I'm told. Um, but I want to invite anybody here to come out for that. It's going to be a fantastic time. We're really excited about it. It's the first Nightlife Center baptism we've had. It's going to be really cool. So, if you guys are not busy, uh, come out 6.15. Uh, if you guys don't know where the Nightlife Center is, it's in the, it's in the Winn-Dixie Shopping Center behind Sweet Berries on Clark Road. We're going to be in the parking lot behind us. We're right next to the Dollar General there. 6.15 on Wednesday. I'd love to have, and I know Marshall would love to have a big group of people there as he publicly professes uh, his identification with Christ and his people. Very exciting time. All right. So today, as you can see, by the way, Joe Davis, and we're doing Galatians chapter 4, 21 to 31 today. The name of the message is Don't Come Around Here No More. And the passage, I just got to be honest with you, I'm a little bit nervous about today's message because the concept is very troubling and the concept is very complex. It's a complex theological concept. So if you came for, you know, simple fluffy stuff, today is not your day. So you're gonna have to track with me and I'm gonna ask you to, I mean, not that you guys don't track with me on a normal basis, but I might be boring today. So I need you to really try to focus in and, and, and hone in and listen, if you need coffee, get it now because we're gonna go into some really cool stuff but it's a little bit complicated. So I'm gonna read uh, the passage to you. I'm gonna start off with Galatians chapter four, verse 21 uh, through 23 and then I'll get to the part that I wanna read on the screen. Here's what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 21 to 23, 21 to 31. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. In other words, what he's saying is the son of the slave woman was born through man's Desires and man's um, attempts while the son of the free woman was born by God. If you guys remember, Abraham's wife Sarah was very old and barren, and God said, I don't care how old she is, she's going to have a child. And so God made the birth of one possible while man made the birth of the other one. So now let's go to the next part, verses 24. Uh, Now, this may be interpreted allegorically, or in other words, in types, like a typology. So there are things in the Bible that can be images and pictures of things to come later. And this is an example of one of those things. And Paul says there are two types in the Bible in this particular story. Here's what he says. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. That was Ishmael's mother. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. Here's what he's saying. Hagar is like the Judaizers. The people who are trying to tell you that you're not really a Christian. For she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above, in other words, Jerusalem in heaven, the new city in heaven, Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as that time he was born according to the flesh, born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born. But according to the Spirit, so it also is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but the free woman. And basically what he says right there is, don't come around here no more. Cast them out. You see, you see what I did there? I hope you see it. Okay. So let's look at, as you guys know, we like to break down a passage three ways. History, theology, and then devotional. History, what about man? What did he do? Why did he do it? Theological, what about God? What did he do? Why did he do it? Devotional, what about me? What should I do? Why should I do it? So let's look at, there are two aspects of the history here. There's the Abraham history that I want to look at really quick. The story of Hagar and her son Ishmael and Isaac and his mother Sarah, all that stuff is important because Hagar, what Hagar was, was an earthly attempt by Abraham and his wife Sarah to fulfill the heavenly promise that God had made him. Just like Judaism or religion is man's attempt, earthly, to gain favor with dad. Heavenly dad. So basically, here's what happens. God says, I'm going to give you and Sarah a son. And logically speaking, the thought process is this. Abraham lacked faith in God's promise. Well, that's a great promise, God, but I don't see how you're going to do it in my current situation. And basically what happened is their logic concluded that God needed man's help to bring about the promise. We call this in theological circles synergism. In other words, what it means is this, that man cannot receive blessing from God unless man helps God bring it to pass. That God and man have to work together to bring salvation to reality. And so Abraham's logic said, look, Sarah's too old to have a child, so I'm going to have to do something else. Sarah, what do you think? Well, here's what we'll do, Abraham. You go in and lie with Hagar, your handmaiden, and you have a child with her, and that will be the child of promise that God said he was going to bring us. So the logic, you know, seems logical, earthly. Well, she's too old to have a kid, so we're going to have to do it on our own. But what happens is this produces significant conflict between Ishmael, the son of Hagar, and Isaac, who was born later. There's jealousy, there's conflict, there's sibling rivalry. There's a lot of issues there. It got so bad that at one point, Ishmael and Hagar are told, listen, don't come around here anymore. And they're booted out of camp. Now, keep in mind, I want you to understand something. Ishmael was actually circumcised, so he followed all the earthly customs that would make him Jewish. But he was still kicked out. And the result, Paul says, is a child born to slavery. Now, this does not mean a slave to men. That's not what the slavery means here. I don't want you to think of the 1800s and the African slave trade. That's not what this slavery is about. It's about being a slave to sin and the law. While Isaac was born a child of promise. You see the difference? One is a child of slavery. In other words, all you can do is what the world says you can do. And one is a child of promise who is taken out from the world and given light and hope and life. So that's the Abraham history of the passage. Then there's a Galatian history. There's no question... That what was happening is the Judaizers had logic that said this. Man has a role to play in God keeping his promise. Yes, there's Jesus. Yes, there's he died on the cross. Yes, he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But we have to do our part as well. And our part is clear. It's Jewish law and custom. It's Judaism. So the Judaizers' logic, and you know, I don't think the Judaizers had a, had a, had a, um, a negative or a, or a nefarious motivation for this. I think they really thought, well, clearly God can't just save Gentiles. There has to be some sort of Jewishness in there. So we've got to show them how they need to help themselves. So Judaizers' logic says that man has a role to play in God keeping his promise just like Abraham and Sarah thought they had a role to play in the birth of the child of promise. And there's no question that the Judaizers had used this story about Abraham and Ishmael and Hagar and Sarah to frighten the Galatians. Listen, if Ishmael was kicked out for not being Jewish, certainly you will be kicked out. The problem with that is Ishmael had done all the things that an earthly Jew was supposed to do to get the promise. He was raised in Abraham's house. He was circumcised. He obeyed all the things that God told Abraham that they should do. So this is a problem here. And so the Judaizers are using a picture of saying, look, you are like Ishmael. And unless you become like us, you can't come around here no more. They got it mixed up, though. So let's look at the theological aspects of this. I want to look at first the Galatian theology. You know, when I was a kid, this No Kids Allowed sign really made me angry. You know, because I knew what happened after bedtime. The party really started. (laughs) Like, I know when I went to bed, the pizza came out, the mint chocolate chip ice cream. They were watching the really good shows. They were watching Rambo. Before it went to, I had to watch something like, you know, Winnie the Pooh. You know, I'm eight, time to go to bed. No, you guys are going to have a party. No, we're not, Joe. Yes, you are, Joey. Go to bed. And I could just, and I don't know if I could hear anything, but my head heard something. Man, they're playing loud music down there. They're dancing on the ceiling. They're eating pizza. They're having friends over. They're watching good movies. They're having a blast, and they've kicked me out. You know what I wanted to do? All I wanted to do one day was to send my parents to bed and have my own party with my friends. Mom and dad, it's 8 o'clock. Time to, I hated it after the time changed. At 8 o'clock, it was still light outside. That just seemed sinful to me, to send a kid to bed at 8 when the sun is still shining. And I thought, you know, one day when I'm older and they're really old, I'm going to send them to bed. And I'm going to have a party. I remember... There was one summer as I was working my way through Bible college that I ran my own day camp during the summer. It was called Camp Ichthus. It was a really cool thing. Ichthus is the, you know, the, the Greek fish sign, you know, and the Greek word for fish and <clears throat> so we had a great time. It's about eight kids and I decided one day I was going to give them a taste of breaking the no kids allowed rule. So I remember we were in Charlotte, that's where I was running the camp from and, and I remember them t- getting them in a van, a minivan. And we drove to one of the most exclusive hotels in downtown Charlotte. It had like 30 floors. And I knew at the top of that hotel was this awesome swimming pool. That's right. We went in the hotel. We snuck past the uh, doorman. We got in. We waited for somebody that was going up to the pool. We got in the elevator with them on the 30th floor, got up to the pool, and we swam for three hours until we were kicked out. Guys, it was the highlight of their summer. They broke the no kids allowed barrier. There was a sign, no kids allowed. There was nobody up there. It was like 98 degrees, middle of the summer. Too hot for old people. So we're up there. We're swimming. We're having a blast. And then this security guard comes up and says, excuse me, are you guys staying in the hotel? Right now we are. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you can't be here. You don't belong here. Leave and don't come here again. We did go again. <laughs> yeah, we got in more trouble the second time, but that was the highlight of those kids' summer. When I still talk to them, you know, they're older now, they got their own kids. I still talk to them every once in a while. Man, I couldn't believe you took us up to that hotel. That was crazy. We had a blast, man. Well, here's what's interesting when Paul told the Galatians that they were the ones allowed to the party, and the Judaizers couldn't come anymore, can you imagine how they must have felt? Because here's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac are pictures. They're pictures of two different types of covenants. And here's here's what he explains. Hagar and Ishmael are the Judaizers. They're not you. They said they were you, but they're not you. They're hagar and ishmael they're the ones that can't come around here anymore they're the ones that aren't invited to the party and isaac is actually a picture of you guys the galatians the gentiles who've trusted jesus and what does this mean paul even says later on and he quotes the in the passage he quotes uh from genesis cast out the slave woman and her son no and you know what that really means here's what paul is saying by that no man comes to the father except through jesus Paul says, don't come around here anymore without the gospel. And don't come around here anymore with the gospel with something attached to it, stapled to it. It's the gospel. It's Jesus alone. So that's the Galatian theology. Now let's look at the Abraham theology, and this is where it's going to get kind of wonky if it hasn't already for some of you. All right, let's look at the Abraham theology. This story isn't just about the ones rejected. Do you understand that? It's not just about the ones who are kicked out of the party, but also the ones who are invited to the party, the ones who are chosen. Question one, did Abraham ask for the promise that God gave him? God, can you give my wife and I a son? Did he ask for it? No. He did not ask for it. Did Abraham earn or merit the promise from God? Did God look down and say, man, you have done such a great job from beginning to end with your life, I'm going to give you and your barren wife a son. Did Abraham merit or earn it? No, he did not merit or earn it. Here's another question for you Could Abraham have refused the promise? Could Abraham have said, That's a great offer, God, but no, thank you? Go pick someone else. I don't want it. You see, Abraham had to rely on the Lord for the promised son, that he and his wife were helpless to bring about themselves. And Isaac's birth reveals that justification is by the hand of God alone, by faith, which is a gift, alone, and nothing else, not even circumcision can save you. I mean, picture God sending his son Jesus to save us by grace alone not by works of the law or efforts of man. And that's the Abraham theology here. The promise that Abraham was given was not given because he chose it. It's not given because he asked for it. It was not given because he earned it or because he brought it about. It was God who said, Abraham, here you go. And I got this. It's all on my shoulders. So what is the devotional application of this? What are you supposed to do with this? You know, there are a lot of ways we think that we should help God. And obviously, I think we've established pretty well in here by now that religious rules and self-righteousness do not bring about the blessing of God. That's the easy one, right? Because you're all here every week, and you know that what we've been teaching you is that your righteousness, that our righteousness, is nothing better than filthy rags. But Paul teaches something even greater in using the example of Abraham. Something that's more miraculous, something that is actually, some on the surface will say well that's troubling, but in reality it's not troubling, it's extremely comforting. I wanna talk about what we call in theological circles decisional regeneration. And here's basically what, by the way, you see how he's walking very carefully on that road? He better make the right choice or he's going to fall. Just so you understand, that's a 5,000-foot drop where the white is, just so you know. (laughs) Here's what decisional regeneration says, that a person must make a decision for Christ in order to be saved. He must hear the gospel, Then he must be convicted about the truth of the gospel, then he must understand the need he has of the gospel, and then he must choose to accept Christ rather than reject him, And we prefer that that moment be marked by an act such as walking down an aisle, praying a sinner's prayer, signing a decision card, or some sort of similar commemorative activity. That's kind of what decisional generation says, that God is doing everything he can. He's putting forth 110% and he's right on the edge of his seat just hoping that we will accept the promise he wants to give us. Boy, listen, angels, listen, we got a problem here. I'm going to go to Abraham tomorrow. Be praying for this, okay? Pray for Abraham, because I'm going to make all these promises to him, and if he rejects it, I don't know what we're going to do. Does that sound like the God of salvation to you? That's what decisional, genera- degener- uh, decisional regeneration says, that a decision regenerates you. In other words, a decision gives you life. That's what regeneration means, bringing you from death to life. Decisional life-giving. That is what that topic, that theology means. But this is important for you to understand. We understand that works don't bring you righteousness, correct? But works and a decision are actually both acts of the will of man, are they not? I mean, you have to decide to work or you have to decide to believe. Both rest upon the will and the determination of man to make the right choice. In fact, Paul makes reference to this kind of concept in the first part of the very part of this chapter. Remember, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Look at this passage. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, and then he clarifies, or rather, to be known by God. That's not a mistake. Do you see what he does there? Now that you have come to be known by God. And then there's another passage in John 15:16. Look what Jesus says. Jesus said this, "You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask The Father in my name, he may give it to you. You know what that sounds a lot like? Doesn't that sound like a lot what happened to Abraham? Abraham, you didn't choose me, but I chose you that you would go and bear fruit. Can you see the similarities between Abraham and the church? So you can see that this concept, that our salvation is not based not only on works, but it's not even based upon a decision. You can see that that is in context with Galatians chapter 4. And there are probably about 25 or 30 other verses I could have put up there. But some of you want to eat lunch later, so I didn't. (laughs) But when you read these passages, and you start to see, wait a minute, the promise has nothing to do with my choice? Does it trouble you? Does it make you uncomfortable? Do you think, wait a minute, is that really God? Because that means some people don't have a choice. Does it trouble you? when it should give you tremendous comfort? You see, here's the concept I want to give you, right? Yes, of course we all have free will. The problem is we're all totally depraved, and our free will is helpless to save us. Earning salvation isn't the only thing you should fear. Well, I'm glad I don't have to earn my salvation. It's by faith. Thank goodness, because if I had to earn it, I would never live up. That's not the only type of thing you should fear. Imagine, imagine this now. If your eternal fate, your eternal destiny rested upon your totally depraved will, being able to somehow be smarter than all the other people who rejected Jesus to accept him. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that would make you? Look, at some point in my life, if I'm not smart enough to see that I need Jesus, I'm in trouble. How can that bring peace? I mean, seriously, what good is free will when you're totally depraved? Right now, in your seat, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about the comfort that you can have knowing this, that your relationship with Heavenly Dad is founded on His actions and His choices and not yours. You are helpless to receive the promise. Here's what I mean by that. When God chooses to bless, you're blessed. When God chooses to save, he's omnipotent. That means all-powerful. Is there anything that can disrupt his plan? The scripture says all the Father has given to me will come to me. And I will no, I will no cast them out. I will not say, don't come around here anymore. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the end. <clears throat> I mean, I could go on for an hour. You are helpless but to receive the promise of salvation that is given to you through the gift of faith. So in reality, what faith is, faith is not a decision, it's a capitulation. You see the difference? I give up. Faith is mine. There's nothing I can do about it. Faith is an acceptance. It's a capitulation. It's not a conscious choice. You see, we don't become children of the promise. Through our own actions and choices. Abraham certainly didn't, did he? Abraham did not become God's friend. Abraham did not become God's chosen through his actions, his choices, his decision. It was God saying, Of all the men in the world, I pick you. It's God's actions, it's God's decisions, it's God's choices. And that is why, think about this now, if if faith is based upon God's work, that's why we never have to fear the words that Ishmael heard. Don't come around here anymore. We never have to worry about there being a party in heaven that we are not invited to because God has reached down in the muck, in the mire, in the sewage that is your total depravity, into the grave that is your spiritual life, and he says, I'm picking you up I'm making you alive, Ephesians chapter 2, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, has he made alive according to Christ Jesus. He makes you alive and says, guess what? Today, I've made you a child of the promise. Isn't it comforting to know, and this is the only way you can have eternal security. Isn't it comforting to know that the choice for your salvation is God's and He works in spite of your choice? What? You don't want me to save you? Too bad. Tough. You're going to heaven. And if you think about it this way, this will blow your mind. You want eternal security? Eternal security is not just now into the future. Eternal security is this. Even in the past, even in the midst of your lying, even in the midst of your deception, even in the midst of your immorality, even in the midst of your stealing, even in the midst of your addiction, even in the midst of anything in your life, if God has chosen you, hell was never even a possibility. That's called being a child of the promise. And that's why you'll never have to fear the phrase, don't come around here no more, because you are God's, all the Father has given to me will come to me and no man can pluck them from my hand. We invite you to stand with us as we sing one final song together this morning. When Pastor Joe sent his notes to me this week, this is the first song that my heart started singing. I want us to